Well, I don't know about you, but I'm having an amazing day so far. I woke up this morning um, and I just felt the, the scripture, I think it's from Psalm 119, where the scripture says that this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will be glad. I will rejoice and I will be glad. You know, one of the things that it speaks to me about and, and you know, I, I always know the mornings when the Lord wakes me up with those kind of scriptures that I know that it's a day that I have to choose to rejoice. How many of you know some mornings you wake up and you're rejoicing and some mornings you wake up and you have to choose to rejoice, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? That there are those days and those times when we have to, instead of looking at our situations and what's happening around us and reports that we've gotten and bank account statements that in those moments we remove ourselves from the situation and trust in the Lord and because of our trust in the Lord we can choose to rejoice. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get a little better amen? amen? Because we choose, listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want the world to tell me what my limitations are. I don't want to uh, have Jesus have done everything that he's done for us and then to live according to what the world says is possible or impossible, right? Jesus died for one reason, and that's so that the impossible, like my dad says, can become inevitable in our lives, that there is nothing that is impossible for us. And you might look, listen to this testimony and think, you know, wow, wouldn't that be so great? Double the salary. Well, that's awesome for him, but that could never happen for me. Let me tell you something. If you change what's coming out of your mouth, I promise you, your situation is going to align with that. The scripture says it like this, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What we got going on on the inside of us the way that we think about our lives, about our situations. Let me tell you something. You can't outrun a bad attitude. But on the other side is that a good attitude has the ability to change our situations. God has made it that simple for us that he's already taken care of all the details. He's already released blessing, healing. He's released prosperity. He's released good, strong relationships and marriages. God has already done the difficult part. Our responsibility now is simple. Align our attitudes not towards our situations, but align our attitudes towards what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I promise you one thing. Listen, the scripture says it all throughout that God is faithful to his promises, right? He is the faithful one that when everybody else in life has maybe let you down, maybe nobody has kept a promise to you. I promise you one thing. God will never let you down, you know? And so as we pick up this, let's pray. Heavenly Father. I'm so stirred. There's such a good atmosphere in here today. You could just like, whoo, preach for hours. And it's early right now, which means I get more time to preach. So thank you all for, for being so quick. Lord, we're just thanking you for this morning. Lord, first off, we just pray. My dad is probably preaching right now. So Heavenly Father, we just play, play. We pray your anointing on his life, Lord. We know that you have delivered a message to him, not just to sound good, but to transform people's lives. Yeah. And so we're asking for the transformational power that we so love and appreciate in this house. 
We ask, Father, that you would turn up the anointing as it goes uh, to, to Dr. Mark Kaufman's church, Heavenly Father. We ask that, 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 that the atmosphere in Jubilee Worship Center, God, that, that it would be just like the atmosphere of transformation at Victory, Lord, that you would anoint him and anoint his words. And Father, we're asking, Lord, as they have gone out, Lord, we're asking for just a double portion of your anointing. Lord, just on our house today, Father, we're asking for an increase of understanding and wisdom, an increase of anointing, an increase of glory and presence. Father, we're so desperate to learn from you because we know that your word will do one thing, and that's transform our lives and make us live lives, like you said, heaven on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the title of my message today is How to Start a New Chapter. It's a good title, right? Everybody wants to know how to start a new chapter. And this morning, we're going to start to th this teaching off talking about Peter. Um, and I love talking about Peter because really, you could teach any message you want, and somehow you could find yourself uh, in the story of Peter, okay? I mean, this guy had some amazing ups, and as we all know, he had some really low lows, like, he did some awesome things, you know, and sometimes they happen in the same story, right? Like, one minute he's walking on the water, and the next minute he's drowning, right? Like, and, and I mean, I think that I love him so much, truthfully, because I think that, you know, as we read through the scriptures, it's like you find somebody in the scriptures that it's like, oh, I can relate to this guy. Right? Because it's like, how many of you, when you look at the story of Peter, you see he's got his ups and he's got his downs. And when I look at my life, I'm seeing like, well, I got my ups and I certainly have my downs. But how many of you know the amazing thing about it was, is that Peter was qualified, not because he did everything right. You must have missed that. I said Peter was qualified, not because he did everything right. Peter was qualified because he trusted in the Lord. He was qualified because he just refused to quit. And so we're going to talk about this concept this morning of understanding what does it look like to start a new chapter. Because one of the things that I know and I've experienced in all the different types of people that I've gotten to speak with is that so often the thing that hinders us is not that there isn't the potential of the future. A lot of the time what hinders most people is the failures of the past. That it's not the, the hope that they have for what they can do. It's the discouragement that they have from experiencing what they've experienced in their past. And so many people allow their, the failures that are behind them to determine the end of their story. That they stop writing and they stop dreaming not because they don't want more. But they stop writing and dreaming because they've allowed the past to define their character. Yeah. You know, how many of you would love to read a book or even watch a movie, you know, where the good guy in the story ends up, you know, just getting the short end of the stick, right? <laughs> you ever wonder why they don't write movies that look like that? Because nobody likes those, right? We all like the guy, you know, we like him to go through hard times, you know? That's a definite, right? You always know in a story there's always going to be hard times. Right? But at the end of the story, you know, if you know there's one thing. You know, that's the hope that I have. Sometimes I watch movies and I'm like, oh, this is, this is so horrible. But the reason I keep it on is because I know that it's going to turn around. You see, you cannot let the middle of your movie determine the finality. God's plan for your life did not end in your past mistakes. God's hand is not so short that he can't pull you up out of the pit that you might find yourself in. 
There is no thing that you could have done or even are going to do that is so bad that God hasn't already forgiven you. Let me tell you something. God is not surprised by the situation you find yourself in. You know, like you're having a bad day. It doesn't catch God off guard. Let me tell you, it's not like God is in heaven as he's watching you and all of a sudden, you know, a bill comes in the mail and he's like, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you need to come over here right now because we have a problem. I promise you something, that never happens. God knew, he wrote your story before the foundations of the world. Jeremiah talks about it multiple times that he's counted the number of our days. He knows even the amount of hairs that are on your head. Let me tell you, there is no detail or desire in your life that God has not already put into the perfect plan that he has for your life. Everything that you would desire has been written into your story. The question is, will you turn the page and start a new chapter? Because you see, Peter was just a normal guy. I mean, that's the reality. Jesus interrupted this normal guy's life, okay? Peter wasn't special, you know? Sorry, Peter. He's like in heaven thinking, yo, dude, I was so special. Like, you were special in yourself, Peter. We get that. But I mean, his story wasn't that special. I mean, we know that if you understand what was happening in those times, is that people who would typically become rabbis, those were the special people in society. They were the smart people. They were the, the people that had potential for their future. And we see Peter, his story, he is where? He's with his dad and his brother, and they're on a boat, and they're fishing. So... He was just a normal guy, and Jesus comes and interrupts this normal guy's life and gives him this promise of an amazing future. He tells him, stop fishing for fish. I'm going to what? Make you a fisher of men. I want to take this seemingly small, insignificant thing that you know how to do and show you how to transform it into something that's going to change the world. You know, that's God's story for each and every one of us. You might look at what you can do. You might look at what you've been given and think like, Peter, what can I do other than catch a couple of small fish? And Jesus is saying that with his anointing and his plan, he can take what seems to be so insignificant in your hand and cause that thing to change people's lives. And so Peter, this ordinary guy, we read in his story, like I said, he's always messing up. I feel bad for him because, you know, he gets the most time in the Bible, which I guess is cool. It's kind of a trade-off, you know. We know Peter, but really we know him for a lot of the not-so-awesome things that he did. Uh, but one of the things that I love is that not only does he mess up, but he experiences amazing things. You know, and his story is perfect for us in that in this life of Christianity, you know, I wish it was going to be all, you know, rainbows and butterflies and good times and you know but there, there's gonna be the scripture tells us right we're gonna come on hard times you know i was listening to a thing from joyce meyer yesterday on facebook and she made this statement about how god instead of hating your present situation learn to love it because god is going to begin to use that thing to develop the character that you need for god to take you into that new place that instead of feeling bad about where you are Learn from it, grow through it, and God's going to use it to cause you to accelerate to where he's calling you to go. And so we see this. Peter's doing amazing things, and his life is really starting to take off. 
right? I mean, we see Jesus and, you know, they're all there and he's talking to his disciples and, uh, you know, Jesus is like, you know, who do people say that I am? And some are like, oh, they say you're Elijah and some say you're Moses and whatever. And Peter like pipes up and says, you know, you're the, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And, and so he's getting all these accolades and his life is really starting to happen. And we pick up a story in Luke chapter 22. And the Luke chapter 22 is the last supper. Um, and so we see this and this is probably Peter's worst day. Okay, like if you actually read through the account of what happens to Peter on this day, this is like probably the worst day that anybody, you could live possible, okay? And so they're at this dinner and Jesus is, you know, giving the whole final communion thing. This is my blood and this is my body and he's doing all these things and, you know, and then, you know, Jesus is trying to have this really intimate moment with these people and then it's like, you're reading, and Jesus has given this beautiful sermon about this is my body, and unless you partake of it, you'll have nothing with me, and you know, this is my blood, and, and, and then all of a sudden, all the guys, you know, the 11 guys, they start arguing about, you know, which of them is the greatest, you know, like, that's just what happened, it's like Jesus is like being all, all intimate, and really expressing things, and boom, pops this argument of like, you know, I'm the greatest, and no, they're not the greatest, I'm the greatest, and, and this is what's happening with Peter, and then in the midst of it, you know, Peter's like, oh, I'm the greatest, and Jesus, wherever you go, I'll follow you, and you know, if you go to prison, I'll follow you to prison, even unto death, and Jesus pipes up out of the silence and says, Peter, before this day is over, you'll deny me three times. <laughs> serious, serious vibe killer. I mean, he was riding his high horse for a minute, and all of a sudden, Jesus pipes up. And then we know that after this happens, right, Jesus goes, you know, so that's strike number one for Peter. And then we know that Jesus, after this, he goes into the, the Mount of Olives to pray, and he takes with him a few of his disciples, Peter being one of them, and he says, you know, he's in anguish, and he's like, please, guys, just pray with me. And what happens? Jesus goes and prays, maybe for, you know, 15 minutes, a half an hour, and he comes back, and what does he find? Peter, he's asleep. Strike number two right? Not only does this happen once, but twice this happens to Peter. And so we see that this day is just getting worse and worse. And then people come, you know, and they come to take Jesus away. And, you know, they got him in chains. And what happens? Peter pulls out his sword and chops the guy's ear off. And then he gets rebuked again for trying. So it's like Peter is really trying to do his best here. I mean, he's thinking like, surely I got to redeem myself. And bad thing after bad thing keeps happening to him. And then to top it all off, we know at the end of the story, Right? He, Peter is in the crowd of people, and through that, we know that Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. And then it says this thing that it, it makes a statement that just says, Peter, he leaves, and he's gone. This guy who spent three years with Jesus doing such amazing things, all of a sudden, he runs into a difficult situation, and the scripture says, he's gone. And you know, we don't hear again about Peter through this whole process of, you know, the, the, this time of the passion of Jesus. You don't hear about him again. And, and I believe that what happened to him was simple. Was his failure was starting to define his future. He could no longer see himself the way that Jesus saw him. He saw himself through the lens of his failure. And what happened? He quit. You see, I think... That's the biggest thing the enemy wants to do to us all the time. And it's to define us by our failures. Every time we want to step out, he reminds us of the thing that we did. Every time we go to try something new, he reminds us of the last time we did it and it didn't turn out well. And what happens? We allow the limitation of our past to define the promise of our future. And it happens 
not just to you, it happens to me, it happens to everybody. Why? Because the greatness in you is so great. And you have an enemy, and he'll do whatever he can to stop that greatness from becoming expressed. And so like I said, all of a sudden Peter is gone. And, and then in, uh, in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus has just been resurrected. You know, spends three days in the grave. He gets resurrected. And he makes this statement. And he says, go tell my disciples and Peter. Go tell my disciples and Peter. And I've heard it said so often that, you know, Peter was, he had gone. He was gone fishing. And I'm no scholar. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm like, yes, I went back into the ancient scrolls and unrolled them and realized, oh, that's not correct. I'm not an ancient scholar by any means. But when you read the account in Luke, you realize that Peter was, he was still with the 11. He was still a part of the disciples' clan. He wasn't like, you know, he didn't pack his bags and move to Toronto, right? He didn't do that. He was still with the guys. And, and I began to think to myself, if, if Jesus knew that he was still there, because he was God at this point, right? He was in his glorified body. He knew everything. Okay, he knew that Peter was still there. Why would he have, why wouldn't he just have said, go call my disciples? Because that would have made sense, right? It would be like, you know, if my dad, you know, or my parents, they were in the other room, he, my parents would never say, uh, go call my kids and Alex, yeah. right? I don't even know that my, my dad would never do that, all right? Because it wouldn't make sense. He would just say, go call my kids, and it would be understood, oh, I'm one of his kids, and so therefore he wants me to come. Why would Jesus have said, go call my disciples and Peter? Because we know one thing is that Jesus was not, he didn't disqualify Peter, right? The majority of the time that he spent, you know, after his resurrection was reinstating Peter, his understanding of who he was. But what happened? Why did Jesus say, go call my disciples and Peter? It was because Jesus knew that Peter would have disqualified himself, it was that Jesus knew that if you go call my disciples, Peter would have thought that because of what I did, it disqualifies me from being a disciple. He was going to allow the past to define his future. And so Jesus said, call my disciples and Peter. Why? Because he wanted to make sure Peter knew, Peter, I'm not judging you because of what you've done. Let me tell you this morning, God, Jesus, we are not judging you because of what you've done. I promise you one thing. There's not a single perfect person in the world. And typically, the people who think they're perfect, they're the ones that are farthest away from being perfect, <laughs> right? But sometimes we see our imperfection more than we see Jesus' perfection. And so we disqualify ourselves. From doing what he's asking us to do. And so I believe this. I believe at the beginning of this year, heaven is inviting us to start a new chapter. You know, it, this is such an, a, a huge thing that each and every person needs to learn and understand how to do. Because the ability to close the door to the past is a skill that most people don't know how to do. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, it's one thing that when I talk to people, I hear the most of is most people talk more about their past than they do about their future. I mean, that's true. I mean, it's true for myself. 
We talk more about the things that are behind us than the hope that we have that's in front of us. And so as I, as I began to look at that, I realized one thing, that discouragement, disappointment, and failure, those are three forces that are designed to keep us stuck in the past. You ever notice that? Like there's some people, I think you notice the most, that there's those, some of those people that were like in high school in the 70s, and now that it's 2017, they still look like they're in the 70s, right? <laughs> Everybody's got a friend who's like that, and if you don't have a friend who's like that, sorry to say, but you are that friend, right? <laughs> You're... You're still stuck there, right? Everybody knows those people. It's so easy to get stuck in the past. And, you know, well, some people are stuck in the past because, you know, high school was so great. Most people are stuck in the past because we left our hope back there. That we traded our hope for disappointment in the past. And because of that, we're stuck back there. Right? We left our dream back there. We left our desires back there. All the good things of life are stuck back there. And now we're, we're living back there. I might be here today, but my hope is back there. Maybe for some of you, your hope is so far behind you that you don't even know where you left it. Maybe there's been so many bad things that have happened to you that you don't even know where to find hope. Maybe you don't even know how to spell hope anymore. But I promise you one thing. If you will learn what it takes, if you will learn the skill to turn the page, just start a new chapter. Stop letting the things of the past define what's going to happen in your future. And what will happen? You'll begin to dream again. And so like I said, discouragement, disappointment, and failure are designed to keep us stuck in the past. And if we stuck, get stuck in the past, we'll never embrace the promise of the future. And so let's talk about this. How do we start a new chapter? You know, when I was getting ready to, I wanted to write this, as I was writing this message, I wanted to name it, what did I want to name it? Oh, I wanted to call it How to Rewrite Your Story. That sounds nice. I like things that are like rewrite, redo, renew. It just like feels good. And as I'm typing out my title, how to, how to rewrite your story, the Lord stopped me and corrected me. And he said, the job is not to rewrite your story. Let me tell you something. So many people wish that they could rewrite their story because their story is filled with regret. Most people that I talk to talk about regret all the time. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I wish I woulda. Let me tell you something. Everything that has happened to you in the past Every decision that you've made, every situation that you've encountered, every right and wrong decision, every time you hurt somebody, somebody hurt you, every time somebody did you wrong or something wasn't right, every single thing in your life has made you exactly who you need to be to sit in this church this morning and hear this message about the promise of your amazing future. I don't care. I mean, I get it. Like, the emotion and the pain is real. I'm not saying that, right? I had some stuff that in my past that I would love to rewrite too. But I tell you something, staying focused on those things is not going to do anything. Amen. Giving your attention to the past, I mean, logically, it's like the weirdest thing that you can do. We spend so much of our time focused on something that you could never change. 
I mean, until there is a time machine, it's really foolish for us to ever think about rewriting our story. Instead, what we have to focus on is the excitement of writing the future. And so Romans 8 says it like this, that everything, that God has turned everything out for our good. That everything you've went through, everything you've gone through, God is using it and turning it. Like, you ever had that happen to you before? When you're like in the middle of something, and it's like, oh, this is so difficult. It was like parallel parking for me, right? <laughs> I'm thinking, this is the worst, and it's so, I was tribulating, trying to figure out how to parallel park, right? And I'm thinking, how could this ever benefit me? Now I go to Buffalo all the time and I always have to parallel park. And now I'm so good at I can like parallel park with my eyes closed, right? I'm thankful that I went through the difficult situations that I went through. That's what it means when God is saying that he's going to turn everything out for our good. I tell you what you can't do with your past is let it give you a hard heart. Because a hard heart isn't going to turn things out for your good. It's only going to make good things worse, okay? Genesis 50 says that everything that was meant for our harm was meant to be turned around for our good. Right? There's no shame in what we've done, right? But we just determined to keep moving forward. So how do we start a new chapter? I got three quick points for you, and then we're going to be done. Number one, point number one. Everybody got a pen and paper? That's right, you're learning. Good. My points are gold, people. I'm just saying, right? Point number one, leave the past where it belongs in the past. Like I said, there is nothing that you can do to change what's behind you, okay? There is no point in focusing on something that you cannot change. Could I get an amen? amen? There is no point in spending your life thinking about things that have been done to you in the past, things that you should have done in the past, things you wish you would have done, ways people should have treated you. Let me tell you something, there's no amount of wishing that can take you back to changing those situations. So why do we focus on those things? You know, I was reading one thing on the internet just about this and, and learning those things, and, and they, they're talking about this, like the, that, that victim mindset, you know, where it's like the me against the world, right? Where we spend so much of our time so focused on trying to like make sure everything in our life that's not right is everybody else's fault. I tell you something, that's not changing anybody's life except for our own, right? It might feel good to blame people. It might feel good to make excuses for why things happen in our past. But I tell you something, those things are not going to help you to move forward. Maybe things didn't turn out the way that you thought that they were supposed to. But I promise you something, focusing on the fact that they didn't turn out the way they were supposed to isn't going to make them magically turn around and turn out right, right? Our job is to continue to stay focused on the future, right? Stop thinking and talking about the past. Let me say that again. You want to know how to stop focusing on the past? Stop focusing on the past, right? Thank you. God bless you all. We're going home, right? <laughs> Let me tell you, the way to stop focusing on something is stop giving it your attention. It's simple. Okay, so many people come to me and are saying, that, oh, I just don't know. Like, I don't know how to do it, right? My first question to them is, how much time do you spend thinking about this? And like, well, it's always on my mind. And it's like, oh, ding, 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 ding. I think we just solved the problem, right? Because the more time that we give to something, the more of our attention that we give. The Bible says it like this, that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be, right? What I give my attention to 
is the thing that's going to be the most real in my life. So what do we do? Change what you're focused on, right? Force yourself to take control of your thoughts. Let me tell you, your thoughts are not more powerful than you, okay? We're not like animals. You know, my dog is like that, Bella. Where she just can't control what's happening. Like if she's laying down and she's comfortable and you go to pick her up, she's going to bite you. You know, she just can't help it. And she gets so sad after she bites you that she's like licking you and she's like, oh, love me, love me. I'm, right? She can't control what she does. We're not like that. You are not a victim to your thoughts. You are not a victim to your emotions. Right? God has given us dominion over those things. We have to learn what it feels like to discipline ourselves beyond the emotion. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, he said it like this. I was reading in one of his books. Somebody came up to him one morning and asked him, you know, just being polite, you know, hey, Smith, how are you feeling? Right? Thinking like, it's just like a nice thing that we do, right? We just say that. You know, hey, Liz, you know, how you feeling? Right? And Smith Wigglesworth stops and rebukes the guy. He says, Smith Wigglesworth doesn't ask himself how he feels. He tells himself how he feels. You know, those people, you know, it's so good. But like those people, don't you just want to like punch them? You know, you're like, ah, shut up. That's not even what I meant. Right? But what? He was so aware. He was so aware of the reality of emotions. He was so aware of the fact that I can't let myself think about how I'm feeling. Let me tell you something. Your feelings are going to lie to you 99% of the time. Like, who feels like eating healthy food? Mmm, that just makes me feel so good. Who like feel, I feel really good going to the gym, but most people I hear, they don't feel good going to the gym. Why? Because our emotions cannot dictate, <coughs> excuse me, our emotions cannot dictate the way that we make decisions. Because all that our emotions are based off of is past experiences. You want to know how to keep repeating your past? Live by your emotions. Just do whatever makes you feel good, and you'll keep going around and around and around. And, hey, you know, I'll teach you a course, you know, how to keep making the same mistakes you always make, right? Point number one, just do whatever makes you feel good, right? Our emotions are designed to keep us safe, okay? Let me tell you something. Doing anything great requires us to step outside of our comfort zone. Always. The first time you do anything. I mean, the first time you go to a new restaurant, you know, you just kind of like the butterflies. You're like, ah, I don't know. Are they going to be nice? Are they going to be mean? Am I going to have parking? Am I going to find parking? Am I going to have to parallel park? Right? <laughs> it's uncomfortable for everybody to do new things. But what? That's the way that we make progress. Right? And number two, stop being the victim of your own story. The pain of your past is not worth as much as the promise of your future. You are not the victim of your story. You're the hero. It's your story. You get to write it. Nobody else is writing your story. Not your parents or your teachers or the friends who told you you never could make it. Those people aren't the people that are writing your story. You determine your story. You determine the end. Not limitations, not where you were born or what your last name is not the color of your skin, not whether you voted for Trump or not, 
That was a joke, right? Uh, everybody's Canadian here. They're like, oh, nobody knows how to respond. They're like, oh, there's so much controversy. Should I laugh or should I not laugh? <laughs> no, and then we're Canadian. We're like, yeah, whatever. Who's Trump? Doesn't even matter. <laughs> so leave the past in your past. It's your story. Point number two. No, no, that was not two. That was 1B. <laughs> Stick up with me, folks, here. These are complex notes. Point number two, determine the end of your story. One thing that's true about every good writer is they know how their story is going to end. Maybe they're going to fill in the details of what happens in the middle of the story, but every writer knows how their story is going to end. You have to know how is your story going to end. I tell you, if you don't know where you're going to go, you're going to go nowhere. That's the truth, okay? Who do you want to be? I ask myself that all the time. Who do I want to be? Not like, what's my identity and who am I? It's not that. Who do I want to be? When I die or go to heaven, who do I want to have been? What do I want people to say about me? What's my legacy going to be? Let me tell you something. These are the things that you have to start to write down. What do you want to accomplish? Maybe you want to own your own business. Maybe you want to be a millionaire. Maybe you want to be like Jeremy and Lottie and have whatever city said, 26 kids. <laughs> Love you guys. You're so awesome. Yeah, they actually only have five kids. It's very exaggerated. What do you want to accomplish? Your dream is your dream. There's no dream that's stupid. There's no dream that's too big and there's no dream that's too small. Some people's dream is to be a mom and some people's dream is to be an astronaut. Let me tell you, God put that dream in your heart. The best thing that you can do is be the person that God wants you to be. Point two B, choose, just so everybody knows, choose to dream again. It's a choice to dream. I know two or three years ago, I went through a situation that did not turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. Like, literally couldn't have been any far in the opposite direction. And I thought that I was good until I started to try to dream again. And it was like my ability to dream was gone. I used to think about big things, and now I only could think about things that I could accomplish in my own strength. I used to think about the more and doing great things and I found myself thinking limited thoughts. Past failures love to steal our ability to dream. But dreaming is not something that is just for little kids. It's not something for people who've got everything working for their life. Dreaming is a choice. We have to choose to be dreamers. I tell you something, there's something in all of our pasts that would try to steal our ability to dream. But we choose whether we'll dream or not. I'm telling you, the way to get over, over your past is to begin to dream again about your future. Harvard did this study about the importance of writing these things down. Like, I'm not saying just like dream these, you know, pie in the sky things. They're like, yeah, maybe one day I'd like to start writing things down. 
Like you should have a list of things. It's like, this is who I wanna be. This is what I wanna do. Harvard did a study and they took, I think it was like a hundred people uh, while they were in school and they followed them for a 10 year, a 10 year period. And the, the, the goal, was, the, the study was all about the, whether it was effective to write down your dreams and your goals or whether it really didn't make a difference. And so the study went like this, 3% of the students had written down their goals and planned to accomplish them. 13% had their goals in their mind, but they hadn't written them anywhere. And 84% had no goals at all. After 10 years, that same group of students were interviewed again and the conclusion of the study was totally astonishing. The 13% of the class who had goals in their mind but didn't write them down earned twice as much as the, as the 84% of people who had no goals. Twice as much. The 3%, however, who had written down their goals and plan on accomplishing them were earning on average, listen to this, they were earning on average 10 times as much as the other 97% of the class combined. There is power, there's power in determining that we're gonna do something. Let me tell you, Jesus knew what he came to do. The scripture says he found himself, he was desperately searching the scriptures to find who am I. It's a determination to find where God wants us to be. And point number three, I'm done here. Start writing your story today. Everything that you need to take a step towards your goal, you have. This is one of the biggest lessons I learned in my life. Sometimes you see your goal way down here and it's so big. Let's say you wanna be an astronaut. And I see myself today and I'm just guy. And I'm like, how could I ever get from here to there? I tell you, there is something you have right now. Something you can do this minute or as soon as you leave church today that you can do to take one step towards your goal. The biggest lie of the enemy is trying to make us feel like our dream is so far away, there's no way that we can get there. Let me tell you something, the way that you get to Toronto is not that I stand here and think really hard and then, I wish that would happen, right? That's not how you get anywhere. You don't just like one second be like, oh, I'm here and the next second pop. I mean, maybe one day we'll be teleported or transported, whatever that is. I don't know, that'd be sweet, but it's what? It's a little step, another little step, another little step. The biggest lie of the enemy is making us feel like if we can't get to our dream today, it must mean that it's never possible. It, chances are it's not possible today. If it is possible today, you're dreaming a little bit too small. But I tell you something, maybe the end is impossible today, but something is. There's something that you can do today to get closer to your dream. It's like the saying goes, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And so you guys can get ready with communion. I wanna do this this morning. You can start to pass it out. I wanna do that this morning. I want each of us to make a choice. You know, communion was all about this moment. 
It was this moment that Jesus had with the disciples where he was inviting them into a new chapter. Where maybe things were one way for a long time, but as he presented the, what is symbolically his body and his blood, he was telling us that we have an opportunity to enter into something new. The new covenant. This new place in God where, not that we make all things possible, but he does. And I felt that so strongly this morning that as we take communion, yes, we know we're taking communion, you know, because of all the promises that come with taking communion. But I felt this morning that, th that, that heaven wanted us to take communion around this concept of choosing that I'm no longer going to let my past determine my future. Listen, everybody has gone through hard times. Like, I'll let you in on a little secret. I'm a pastor. Not anymore, thank God. But there was times, even a couple of years ago, where I said to myself, does this stuff even work? Is this stuff even real? That happens to everybody. Everybody thinks those thoughts. Everybody feels those feelings. Everybody's been disappointed by the faith process. Everybody's dreamed for something and it didn't happen. Everybody's got really hyped up about something and nothing comes of it. Everybody's experienced that. Don't let the past. Like, I feel like this so much, like heaven is pleading with us. Don't let the past determine the future. My dad made that statement, you know, a couple services ago. This concept of being born yesterday, where we forget about ah, and embrace this, the year of the harvest. As you hold these things in your hand, I want to do that. Just you just close your eyes. We're just going to take a moment, just of privacy and concentration in ourself. Because I tell you, this isn't about me. It's not about the people that are around you. You hold these symbols in your hand because of what Jesus did for you. The promise he's made to you. The hopes and the dreams that are in you. It's easy to swallow this brisket and take a sip of this nice grape juice and nothing happen. But there's enough power in the promise to change your future. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking even right now, as we sit in this service, and as we hold these amazing symbols of the lengths that you are willing to go to free us from these natural limitations, I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would open up our mind and our eyes to see ourselves the way that you see us. We don't want to see ourselves through our past, through our natural abilities. We want to see ourselves the way you see us. I feel like that this morning. If you have sickness in your body, just let the Lord begin to show you what it's going to look like to live healthy. Maybe you don't have enough money to pay your rent or 
be your children. Let yourself experience Holy Spirit emotions of what it's going to feel like when God comes through for you, when he does that miracle in your life. Maybe you walked in here this morning and your marriage is failing or your family is falling apart. Let yourself feel what it feels like to know that God, he's got a plan. So when you're ready, doesn't have to be now, it could be in a couple minutes. When you're ready and you're ready to say, this is it, I'm ready to start this new chapter. Maybe you walked in here this morning and you're like, it doesn't matter what anybody says to me. I'm not going to change my mind. This is your moment. Heaven is looking at each of us, ready with our answer, ready with our miracle, ready with our breakthrough, ready with our freedom. Heaven is ready for us. They're ready to pour out everything that we need.